Hey guys, you know how you plan something and then life gets in the way? This is one of those moments. Well, we recorded an episode in late January and we're not getting it up until <laughs> now, but we thought it was still worth your time and we wanted you to hear it. So here it is, the second episode of Ooh, a Butterfly. Also, just a heads up, we talk about Brooklyn Nine-Nine in this episode. And so there are spoilers for that show just about until 40 minutes in. If you're trying to avoid those, skip ahead. Anyway, here's the episode. Thanks for listening. Hi, friend. Hi, friend. Also, hi, friend listening. This is Ooh, a Butterfly, a podcast where we have two friends who talk about life and culture and surprising things and just attempt to stay on topic, but kind of talk about everything. Yeah, we don't really try that hard. We try a little bit. Sometimes. We aspire. Yeah. And we, at the very least, have segments, and there's three of them. So it's time for the first one. (laughs) (laughs) That was so organic. I love it. Yeah. So our first segment we actually call Geeking Out About. It's where we talk about a thing that we're a fan of, but in kind of a wider sense. And this month, it's Julie's turn to pick that thing. So what's the thing? Oh, the thing is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Kelly. And I realized we did not introduce ourselves. Oh, no. Well, it's episode two. So this is, I'm Kelly. You should know who we are. Yeah, I'm Julia. Yeah, also, but now I'm going to roll away from the mic so I can have the appropriate reaction to Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which is... You and your imaginary air horn is just... I love that. Um, I Also, know. I rolled away, and it was still really loud. <laughs> so sorry, everybody, but I really like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but you really like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, so you tell me why. I fucking love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, I didn't think I was going to love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I saw the ad for it um, now, what, like five years ago and was like, that looks stupid. <laughs> no, it looked like another like silly cop show, which is not my genre at all. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine is surprisingly both hilarious and sensitive and does amazing things with representation and tackles challenging subjects. And I'm still just kind of in awe of the fact that it is as good a show as it is. I think that's one of the most important things to me, too, though, is it's honestly, even with doing all the extra things, which that's not something we're going to gloss over. We're going to definitely talk about that. But it's so good and it's so interesting. And the story builds on itself in a very linear way, but also in a way where you can jump in and out of it if you want to. You'd be doing it wrong, but you could. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, I I guess you would call it a a sitcom. Not like traditionally, but it is a a comedy. And I guess it's something of a situational comedy. But yeah, it it is both linear and episodic at the same time, which strikes me as a really ridiculously hard thing to pull off. Yeah. When you have other traditional things like Law and Order or CSI or what's, is CSI the Navy one? Shit. Mm. Oh, you're really asking the wrong person. Heck. Well, I just mean other crime shows. Let's do that. That's not JAG? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but like with other crime shows that exist, there's a level of severity where you start out with, someone died. <laughs> Someone was dishonorably discharged and they were actually bad guys. Someone found a body in the pool house and it doesn't have a face. Yeah, but like every episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine just opens with a lovely little bit of a slice of life, which is really nice. (laughs) 
<laughs> that actually brings up one of the things I really love about it is, and, you know, not to get too serious right away, but it, it's important to me personally for us to talk about policing like it is a job yes. that is held by people mm -hmm. and people are flawed and make mistakes and they can also be really endearing um that it, it seems both useful to think of them as humans and to remember that this this is a job it's not doesn't make you a hero inherently yes and they have life and death kind of moments in the show and to be clear that's a group of detectives it's not necessarily like your beat cops kind of thing but Right. They don't shy away from the idea that policing is a dangerous job or a difficult job. But at the same time, they also don't try to paint them as bigger heroes than they are, so to speak, which I find super important. And they show them going to trainings. Like, that's just such a small thing, but it's so important to me. Especially in this, the current state that we're living in, when you have police kind of seen as above reproach. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I'm getting at. Um, and yeah, to, and then to like do things like also poke fun at like the administrative aspects, um, which are myriad. Yeah, is just like a really nice difference from like you know like the guy going into the chief's desk and he like slams his gun down and it's like never mind, I quit. Mm -hmm. Um, and and they literally make fun of of those scenarios, and it's really I. Think I think both entertaining and fun and extremely important yeah not to like lean too hard into that but it's important to me very much so and i i think it's such an important thing to do because it's like you said it's a job i'm not trying to look just like the lack episode if you want to tell me how important blue lives are don't at me that's mm -hmm. not what i'm here for <laughs> no this is the wrong people for that Incorrect i'm sorry correct audience all the way through mm -hmm. <laughs> you'd just gonna get blocked yeah oh completely but what i am trying to say is i think it's a very important job i think it's a very like serious job but it, they're still people they're still human they're still fallible but on the the same end they still have stories to tell they still have lives to lead they still have loves to love and you know <laughs> hopes to hope and dream anyway i've done enough of those um <laughs> <laughs> and they do goofy shit. I mean, it's like go back to the fact that like, it's it's a comedy, you guys. Like being able to laugh at the police is a really unusual thing, I think. And even not just it's not just like slapstick, it's also laugh with them at certain moments. I was going to say the range of humor is impressive. Mm -hmm. Um and that I think falls entirely onto the completely fantastic cast, which I'm sure we're going to talk more about. So um, but good. just like the range of humor that is possible because you have this range of people, it just makes me so happy. They also don't try to shy away from some of the harder things, but like they still treat them in like a silly way. But they talk about corruption. They talk about the idea that cops see their lives flash before their eyes sometimes. Mm -hmm. They do things where it's like you went after the wrong person. Like they kind of, mm -hmm. it's all still wrapped up in this comedy lens, which is great. But it, it, it gets to the heart to me of good storytelling in general where hey we're gonna look at all aspects of this not just one and it's also just really nice that then when they do something serious when they like i don't know if you're completely caught up but no spoilery yes. way the end of the last episode had me going oh 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 oh, oh. you know like it, which it, they often do and mm -hmm. um the last season they did a police brutality episode yeah and the fact that they were both you know like brave enough to do that thoughtfully and the fact that they did it so well and that somehow it was still funny yes yes like, i don't even know how you manage that except that that seems to be what they're good at yeah, and it's clearly, to me, a sign 
a very thoughtful writing. I don't know all the people that are in that writer's room, but I would hope that it's as diverse as their cast. And even if it isn't, then it's people who are focused at least on that level of diversity. And so what comes from that is so wide and so interesting. And I find it shines so incredibly bright when it takes on topics like that, but also just the small moments of like, there's a lot of ensemble comedies out there where there's a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. But the ones that I find to be my favorite are the ones where every character gets paired up in different situations and you realize, oh, they are actually all friends. Oh, yeah, the the level of, of interpersonal relationships. So how many named characters are there? There are a lot. Yeah, it's like at least eight. So, I okay, think. the main squad is, I'm going to count on my fingers because I'm a child, because you have <laughs> Holt, you have mm-hmm. Terry, mm-hmm. you have Gina, mm-hmm. uh, Peralta, yeah. Diaz, mm-hmm. Santiago, mm-hmm. Hitchcock Scully, mm-hmm. Boyle. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm missing someone. Because there's other named characters who are kind of like secondary, but that's kind of the main that's squad, true. I think, I think. Yeah, that's the main cast, I think. I don't think you're forgetting anyone. Yeah, I think that's everybody. But that's nine characters. That's plenty. And they interact. Uh, they all interact in different ways. They all have different relationships. For me, I'm always especially encouraged when you not only show like friendships between women, but mm-hmm. friendships between men and women. And that's when like, they have this character who is... A total hard badass, like just (laughs) mean as fucking nails. Totally the person that you'd see out in the wild and be sort of like, I am not going to fuck with them. First of all, their badass, their ultimate badass character is a woman, number one. Number two, they've recently delved into her sexuality in a really respectful, nice way. Like no spoilers, but it's great. Like you see it coming and it's great. They do a really good job with it. But also, she's friends with a lot of the men on the team, but not in a, like, normal girl suck. Like, she's also friends with the other women on the squad. Well, and even early on, there's an episode that I loved, and it's about the fact that women should have each other's backs Mm -hmm. in the professional environment, and that they should be friends and support each other. It's a storyline that occurs between Rosa, who you're talking about, and Amy, who are, like, two Latino women on the same show, by the way. Like It's two oh. of them. The same way there's two black men on this show. It's great. What? It's totally possible, you guys. We can have it all. Yeah, like, we can have it all, and it's amazing. It is. It makes me so happy. But the fact that they, like, took a minute to say, like, yeah, this could be a really, like, competitive, contentious relationship. These women could try to throw each other into the bus, but they don't, and they, they do that deliberately. It's just... Uh, again, it's so it, just, it good. makes me really happy. Well, and it's also like even outside of the exploration of her sexuality a little bit, there's a whole episode where she gets drunk on Bellinis. And at first she's like, Bellinis are dumb. <sighs> and then she's like, no, Bellinis are great. Like, they're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone should have Bellinis. Yeah. Or the fact that she loves Nancy Myers. That's movies, who I was like, trying to think of. She loves yeah. Nancy Myers. Movie. Like, and there's moments where you get to see her home and everybody's always like, wow, this is decorated beautifully and she's like really what? really tastefully an done yeah yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no rosa rosa is a huge part of why i love the show but then um I, we've had this conversation before it's actually not the kind of show where it's easy to like point at your favorite character no. because a lot of them are great i'm actually very willing to say that all of them are great even the two characters who are built as terrible like they're kind of the cop foils of anything that you think of with bad policing 
they have them. They have kind of the bumbling donut boys. Oh, yeah. Hitchcock and Scully. Yeah. They're wonderful. Like, they're kind of wonderful characters. Their love for each other is ridiculous and weird. And they have these bizarrely endearing moments. Also, like, just as, like, a from a technical perspective, they're amazing for exposition. Because anytime, like, they have to, like, stop and explain something so that the audience understands what's going on or to, like, remind you what's going on, it's like Hitchcock or Scully asks a question. Mm-hmm. And it's just this thing that's built into the show. And that's such a, like, a smart, neat storytelling choice that also belongs organically to character. And now I'm nerding out about, like, story stuff. But that that's what Brooklyn Nine-Nine does. Like, they tell good stories. They tell such a good story. And it's also the in terms of, like, if you're looking for physical comedy, there's moments where I know these two are actors and they are adult men of a certain size. But watching them do stuff in a way that, like, one of them is always taking their shirt off in a way where he keeps getting stuck in it. And you're just like, but why? Because he can't. And it's good. Or there's a, another scene where um Terry Crews, who plays Terry, and uh, I freaking love Terry Crews. Yes. Picks one of them up and, like, turns him upside down yes. and shakes him. <laughs> so good and it's it's a physical comedy that's not at anyone's expense which no. really is my preference i like i get really twingy when um humor is like about someone else's humiliation it avoids the homer simpson uh peter what's his face family oh, guy family guy yeah. yeah it it avoids a syndrome of someone like an actively terrible person winning essentially like Mm -hmm. again even with hitchcock and scully they're bad they're bad at their job they're kind of bad at their lives and you just you you get little nuggets of their past where you're like whoa you guys were terrible people but you still don't hate them because they're dedicated to their nap times with each other they're pizza buddies they once fight over a sandwich but then they're like oh no i'm sorry that the sandwich tried to tear us apart like they're still (laughs) funny and when you are laughing at them it's clear that they're not embarrassed if these were real people and you saw them on the street and recounted what they did they would be like yeah that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do so it's it's not even uncomfortable on that level and when they are actively embarrassed a lot of the times it's something a little bit sweet like Mm -hmm. the time um scully almost like found the perfect woman (laughs) (laughs) i forgot about that and um, was like trying. It was like a little like Cyrano de Bergerac kind mm-hmm. of like storyline where um, I think it was Amy and Rosa. It was either Rosa Amy and, and Rosa or Rosa and Gina. So like two of the ladies are trying to help him woo this woman who's like honestly really perfect for him because she's like weird and like if mayonnaise was a person, it would kind be of how both of them. <laughs> yeah. So they're like perfect together, and and he gets like you know advice from his coworkers, and it goes very badly because that's not what she wants the the woman he's trying to to woo she wants someone as weird and awkward as she is which is also like a really lovely little yeah um just characterization can i also just say like and and dear dear listener this is the bit where we're just gonna delve into the characters and how much we love them because let me just say there's a lot to fucking love on this show there's a lot to say gina is so good (laughs) chelsea peretti Oh, just is <laughs> a gift. Actually, lots of people on the show are, are gifts. Like, I'm going to yeah. keep saying that because, yeah, they're gifts. And her character is so fascinating. She would describe herself as an alpha wolf of a human being. And it's actually kind of true. She was like the weirdest power moves, but she 
is also not bitchy. She's still super kind, but it's like hidden and they give her moments of doubt, but also of extreme power. There's like a whole bit where she leaves and then she comes back and everybody's sort of like, oh, we were expecting her to be in today. Like, where is she? And then there's this moment she just appears at her desk and goes, <laughs> it's like I was never gone. And the squad applauds. Like, they're all just like, oh, yeah, that's Gina. <laughs> She's so good. And the squad clearly accepts exactly who she is. And there are several episodes dedicated to showing how intelligent she is, even though 90 to 75% of what comes out of her mouth is absolutely batshit insane, which yeah, I love. It's- She's just so particularly bizarre. <laughs> and I feel like weird characters tend to be like a little bit generalized sometimes. Like the show really wants to telegraph like, oh, they're weird. But um, what's amazing about Gina is so much of it is completely deadpan and just delivered in this like normal tone of voice. Um, and, and then but like a lot of the weirdness ends up like on her face. And then like also like the content of what she says. It's so good. like. <laughs> Yeah, and she's not a cop. No, she's most certainly not a cop. The show uses that to their advantage multiple times, which is great. Yeah, yeah. So um, Sheena's great. She's just so weird. Like, I can't even express how weird she is. No. And I love it. But it's so aggressive, and it's not like, <laughs> I'm not, again, none of the women on the show are like, I'm not like other girls. Like, if Gina were to tell you she's not like other girls, she's like, I'm not like other girls because I could eat them. And you would just right. be like, Gina? <laughs> like, I'm a terrible death goddess. That's why I'm not like other girls. Exactly. And you could tell that she would ultimately believe all of these things. And by the end of the conversation, you would too. Yeah. I think that's part of what tells it is she means everything that she's... So it's not quirky Mm-mm. or twee or anything like that. It's completely like straightly played and um, genuine on her part. Oh, yeah. Which is- fantastic but then again getting back to what makes the show great is that she has interactions with hitchcock and scully all the time that is hilarious but then she also connects with boyle who is like he is described in kind of the first episode as the best grinder cop where he just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes until he like solves a case and he is oh gosh he's so doughy and just nice And, like, in love with everyone on the squad and his depth of belief in people is ridiculous. Just wants everyone to be happy. And, yeah, it's a cinnamon roll, for sure. (laughs) Early on, there's a storyline with Boyle that I love to death. It's um, he has a crush on Rosa. Yes. And it's that very classic um, rom-com trope of if a nice guy is persistent enough, he will eventually win the affections. Uh, of the woman he he wants right and the show goes so completely out of its way to subvert that that it won me like i think that won me over as much as anything else they did in in the first couple of seasons is just be like no that's not how it works but they can be friends yeah um, and that's great and that she points out how valuable that is to her which we should have said at the beginning of this spoiler alert like we need to do a thingy where it's just me going like there will be spoilers here like, <laughs> you can't geek out and not talk about I know. the particulars of something. I think for me, it's also five seasons long. And some of these things are the things that get me into shows. You told me about this in like a vagueish way. I think when we watched it, there were only two seasons, maybe? There might have been like one and oh, well, so this is a story, right? Should I was going to say, we should save it for the end because the, the okay. how we both 
or in Brooklyn Nine-Nine is a lovely moment. But like, yeah, the fact that you liked it, we'll come yeah. back to it because we have to tell it. But <laughs> the fact that you were telling these, th- these things about it where you're like, oh, man, everybody's really cool. And it's very diverse. And it's making very like informed story decisions. And I was like, I could watch that. Like, <laughs> That's what got me into it. To take it back to Boyle, like, Boyle is one of those people who could be a terrible, like, alpha male. He could be someone who is eternally wondering when his greatness will happen, and he's really not. Mm. He could also be a nice guy who's not really a nice guy, which I think, uh, you know, if you're alive, you have experience with. (laughs) If you are alive and female presenting, yep. Male yep. presenting too, to be to be sure, but you know. Probably, I'm sure you have a buddy who yeah. just thinks he's like a total sweetheart, but is secretly super salty about the fact. Which that- BT dubs? I just have to. Um, have you seen the post about people thinking about Clark Kent? What? No. It's this amazing Tumblr post where there's one dude who clearly is salty and is like, "Y'all bitches be out here looking for Superman, but you're gonna walk past the Clark Kent." And someone replied to it with. Please sit the fuck down thinking that you are even remotely close to Clark motherfucking Kent, who was 100% grade A Kansas motherfucking beef, whose mama raised him from day one to respect ladies and gets shy talking about cool shit that he loves and just very gently nudges the printer out of the way when I drop my pen and is flustered around people he likes. You ain't even close to a Clark Kent, you motherfuckers. And I was like, ooh. That's the most beautiful thing I've heard. Yeah, so anyway. Probably all year since it's the end of January. <laughs> I'm going to try and find it and send it to you. But anyway. Please do. Boyle could be one of those per- people. He could be the, you want Superman and you're, you're going to walk by Clark Kent. And instead, he is the person posting about how good Clark Kent is. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So he's not Clark Kent, but he's, he's maybe sweet. he's Jimmy. I yeah, don't know. Yeah, he's Jimmy. He's Jimmy, I think. Yeah. He's so sweet and so kind, but also weird, very weirdly into food in ways that, again, that are played for laughs that are really interesting. <laughs> Everyone on this show is strange, which is something I personally appreciate being a weirdo myself. Legit. Like, legit weirdo. Even, uh, like, Captain Holt is actually probably a really oh, good example. Oh, very weird. Oh, I love how weird he is. <laughs> Just the things that he's into. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine he he's into, like, Sousa music. He was the Skrillex of his day. <laughs> and he's mad because he looked up what Skrillex was. <laughs> um, so and good. I adore him anyway. Uh, Andre Brower plays him. And he is, again, he's a gift to all of us. He is. And I genuinely believe, and if this is not true, no one ever correct me, that the writers just sit around thinking of ridiculous things for him to say in his beautiful stage actor's voice. I love it. There has to be... No other explanation. Of course, they're still writing good stories and shit, but some of the stuff he says is like, you know you have this level of gravitas, and you just make him say things like, this isn't my order. I only eat eggs when I'm on vacation. Like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Or bone as loudly as he can. Yeah. (laughs) Or bone. I'm going to roll away from the mic again because he was just like, bone. (laughs) Just, it was so good. Yeah, so that I, I believe that in my heart. I hope it's true because yeah, they just have him say the most absurd th- like they they had they gave him a monologue about sex in the city. They do, which is so good. 
First, it's a great monologue, but secondly, just his delivery is the best thing I've ever heard. But thirdly, it's also an amazing character choice because in the moment, there is a real reason for him to be doing this. But as a character, you can tell he hates it, but he revels in the challenge. Which yeah, is like, just I'm so weird. <laughs> yes, there's there's so much going on um, with all of them. Yeah, like none of there are no cardboard characters on Brooklyn Nine Nine. Uh, even the villains are, are sort of interesting, and I think they're interesting in their casting choices, too. Yes, very much so. It's just a real good show, and I like that we keep continuing to say that every character is weird, because legitimately, every character has something that they're super weird about, but it it gets to something I've fundamentally said about people forever, which is that, like, everyone is weird about something. Yes. You just need to recognize what your thing is, because I think... That's what connects us. That's what makes us better. We can we can be better friends. And even on the show, they have moments where someone leans into someone else's weirdness. Like Amy, who we haven't talked about that much, who is amazing, is like literally the type A-iest type A person. And she's is, so great. She's so good. And there's an entire moment where they're like, okay, there's only one, there's no way for us to get from point A to point B. Oh, from this most recent season? Yes. That scene made it's as so as good. someone who loves organizational stuff, that seems to be my whole life. It really is too. Because she just rattles off this incredible plan that only she could do because only she knows all the regulations and the flight plans and the like schedules yes. and the rules and it just it just flows out of her mouth and they like the other characters even applaud at the end, right? Because it's just so beautiful. They all applaud for each other at multiple points, like, in this yeah, way of, like, job. you're weird, but you just use this in an amazing way. Your weirdness saved us. And I think she literally goes, there's no time for that move. <laughs> <laughs> yes, which is the perfect response. And it's just wonderful. And it's the thing, like, some relationships evolve throughout the show. And there's moments where, like, someone is saying about her, like, oh, this is when I realized I really liked her because of the way she was doing this thing. That's super weird and doesn't make any sense, but I love that this is the way she does it. Yeah, that's a, actually, that's a lovely message, right? Just embrace each other's weirdness. Like, maybe yeah. you don't understand why your friend um, has color-coded their comic book collection. That's not that weird to do. I don't know. I can't think of anything really strange because I'm strange. It's the idea of, okay, if you know all of the statistics for your favorite football team, Someone else who knows all of the statistics for 17 years of one particular comic book character is literally actually, you guys should be friends. Like, you yeah, shouldn't you're, be like. You're, they're the same. Yeah. Right? You guys. There's, there's a mirror there. Yeah. The same way people are like, oh, I'm really into my sports car. And you have someone else that's like, my dad builds scale model helicopters. Yeah. You should be best friends. Yeah. And all of those skills can just be useful in a way of like oh we can put these to work because it's not the only way to live but <laughs> we can all relate to each other like whatever well, anybody's benefit. thing is yeah. yeah you can you'll benefit from it whether you know it or not and the other thing is like i think uh you brought up sports so that made me think of like really mainstream interests mm -hmm. but every fandom is weird you guys every fandom has its weirdness because it's just it's it's a uniquely human and I think modern human thing to be that into anything that isn't you know the business of life yeah exactly but if you can get a group together to talk seriously about something on your off time you're in a fandom 
Everything is fandom. Yeah. That, yeah, Julia's the theory of life. Everything is fandom. It, um, but it is, though. Like, when people are like, oh, all those people that like comic books are cool. And I'm like, you're in a Mini Cooper club. Yeah. You're in a <laughs> fandom. You're in a fandom, bro. It's a That's car a fandom. fandom. So maybe, again, it's, it's part of the current mainstream. So you don't feel that odd about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, like, nerdy fandoms have obviously become a lot more popular recently. So, yeah. um, you know. Fandom is fan- like political like divisions act like fandoms. So yeah. don't don't even oh, talk yeah. to me about anything else. Like that was the last election for me hmm. entirely. Is like there were Bernie fans and there were Hillary fans. Like these are like two people like who mm-hmm. have like completely different OTPs and they're gonna kill each other over it. Like that was how I felt about it. To be real though, the fandom wank in the political realms is the worst. Oh, <laughs> can we just please never again? Um, that's really off topic, but can we just please never again? Yeah, I know. Those those ship wars are the worst. <laughs> yeah, just, like, we have to find a way to coexist. Yeah, like, don't do that. If, like, people who like Edward and Bella and Jacob and Bella can do us, then the rest of us can too. I mean, my brain is just like, I can't believe we're explaining things that way, but that's what this, <laughs> this debate deserves. <laughs> the world we live in. Like, I will, I will bless it with better analogies when they deserve no, th- yeah that's what they deserve right now <laughs> but anyway back to brooklyn 99 it's just yeah literally everybody on the show is weird and they they just lean into that and it's it's really nice because it makes everybody equal and then the things that people are weird about are not things that have to do with age or gender or sexuality or body type like all the stuff that we've seen in like low hanging fruit where oh you're the fat one or like oh you're the gay one like diverse people exist on the show in any format that you can think of and what makes them diverse is never the butt of the joke it's never the butt of the joke it is it is there and it can help inform the comedy like there is captain holt is revealed to be a gay man in a relationship in the very first episode that he's on. Like, or second. I don't know. It's a two-part of The first one, yeah. Yeah. But that's not the joke. The joke is that someone else didn't notice. Yes. You know? and like Or actually, most of them didn't notice, right? Yeah, most of I mean, no, most I think of most of them notice. did. It's just... It's well, just Jake, Jake didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like, and even then, the idea that he's in a loving relationship is one that's used time and time again. But, like never the butt of the joke like there's this whole thing where gina who is holt's assistant is very adamant that jake not mess something up because she's like captain holt's husband and i are on a first name basis right now don't fuck this up for me and then of course they ruin it and captain holt's husband says miss lanetti to her and she goes damn it (laughs) and so it's not funny that she's interacting with captain holt's husband that's not the joke the joke is that she fucked up and in understanding him and his relationship with people, she just got knocked down a tear. That's the joke. Yeah, that she got demoted. Yeah. And yes. it's like that throughout, and Heart I love agree. it. Yeah, we could probably gush about this for hours and have. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one more thing I wanted to say is I think one of the reasons I still like the show, because obviously it's easy to get into something the first few seasons especially if it's novel like this is in terms mm-hmm. of like its representation and the way people are written um and as you say no low-hanging fruit one of the reasons i still like it is they don't walk back their character development which is something that i yeah. see on comedies all the time that makes me not only annoyed but also really sad 
Yeah. And not to like shit on anything that someone likes or actually that a lot of people like, but the Big Bang Theory is actually really guilty of that in my opinion. Ugh. Yeah, that's why I stopped watching it, honestly. Yeah, because when, um, I think particularly for comedy, when you're relying on a set of interactions, kind of like for the basis of your humor, any sort of like personal progress on the part of the characters that um, like messes with that becomes temporary. Mm -hmm. And first of all, that's not how people work. All right. We like learn and grow and that's important. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And second of all, it gets really tiresome. Yeah. So Jake is actually, Jake is the main character of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, not that you would know based on the way we talk about it. Well, even the way the show's presented. like Honestly. There are episodes where you could take or leave him. <laughs> right. But it's like his personal development is like one of the major arcs of the show. Mm-hmm. But he learns and grows as a person and they never reverse the lessons that he's learned from like interacting with people around them. And that's something that for me is really what makes Brooklyn Nine-Nine distinctive i gotta say i completely agree with you because the it's so dynamic to watch him still be the same person because he's very foolhardy he's very silly he's very childish and those things stay true but he does grow and like you said he doesn't have to relearn the lesson like he very obviously learns lessons throughout but as as he holds on to them it it just begins to inform his character in new and different ways where like at this point in the season, he's still very silly, but in a way that appreciates his co-workers. And he's still very, like, childish, but in a way that he reserves for certain situations. And it do- he's still just, a, like, you could put two scenes of him together from the first season and this season, and he's still like himself, and he's still silly mm-hmm. and fun. But he, you're right, they don't walk back his character growth. And that's something I don't think I ever articulated about the show, but I'm glad you said it, because it... it, it it makes the viewing experience so much better because then there's no he said, she said. There's no, like, low-hanging nonsense. And it's also just, like, you don't have to watch the same thing over and over again. And it's like you said, not to shit on something that, you know, people like or love or whatever. But there's only so many times I can laugh at Sheldon being bad at interpersonal connections. Especially right. when you're expected to laugh at him. And they set up se- scenes and situations where you laugh at Jake when he realizes he has done something wrong. But then he kind of tucks tail and is sort of like, hey, I fucked up. How do I make it better? And then he makes it, and then he and the squad usually, or like he by himself generally makes it better. And then he moves forward. Like you actually see him later because of this doing fucking better. Like that whole scene we just talked about with Amy would never have occurred within the first season not just because of, you know, everything that's going on, but that the idea he wouldn't have thought to ask for help. Right. And he wouldn't have, like, recognized that strength that she had and mm-hmm. gone out of his way to say, look, we need what you can do right now. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not the star of this show. Yeah. that That's something that I've been thinking about lately because he also goes through some personal challenges and, again, keeps changing as a person as a result, which is... Yeah. I don't know. It's It's... Shocking that character development is nice to see, but it is. Like real people, it makes him a kinder person. It makes him more interesting to watch. And it also makes the show so much more approachable through his perspective. Because, again, if you were watching season one Jake in season five, he I don't think he would do as well. <laughs> and you'd be frustrated with him. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, it, like it's important that he's gotten to this point, and that's just a nice idea in general. That like as we grow and change, we you know confront new challenges, but we're also better equipped to do that because of what we've experienced before, which is great. It is. It's just it's a nice show. Yeah, it's a good show, and I think now is the time that we tell how we're both into this show, which is <laughs> you watch this show, which was great. I don't. I don't think I like started watching it live because i'm a millennial so i almost certainly started watching it on hulu unless it's a live drop on netflix i feel like nobody watches live tv anymore that and like maybe the olympics and sports that's it oh yeah those are coming up Mm -hmm. but you came for a visit and you came just to hang out Mm -hmm. actually i'm gonna like take us on like another path very briefly and say that that's one of the hard things about having very good friends that are long distance yeah is when you like get to spend time together again it feels like it has to be a big production so like one of the things I end up missing most of the time weirdly is stuff like cooking together or getting coffee or watching like a bunch of tv yeah so like stuff that like you did once this isn't to make either of us sad I'm just saying it's like one of the challenges no but it's true though (laughs) it's also partially why we do this podcast is because we're we're real friends guys yeah this isn't it'd be weird to do this just for the podcast yeah (laughs) so uh you came to visit and was like what if we just like hung out and talked and like watched some tv and it's like that sounds good so as we covered last time, it's not always the easiest thing to recommend something to someone. But yeah. one way that often works for me is if you're like, here, let's just like watch one episode of it together. And if you don't like it, we don't have to keep watching it, mm-hmm. which is what we did. And I thought maybe we would watch like the first 10 episodes, <laughs> but we ended up watching like the first season and a half. I feel like by the time we got through the first season, we were both looking at each other going, is this cool? Is this still cool? Because I was just like, I, w- I need to keep watching this and I like watching this, but also like we're together. Should we should we be doing something else? And you were just like, no, dude, this is exactly what I want to do right now. I was like, great. And then we would just like play the next episode and we'd look up and it would be like two hours later and I'd be like, um, is it still cool that I want to like keep doing this? And you'd be like, yes. <laughs> yeah. And, um, my Hulu is set up so it doesn't autoplay because otherwise I would never accomplish anything. Uh, so like each time we have to be like do you want to you want to watch another one yeah yeah and i i think at one point i just started hand flapping at you like the episode would end and i'd be like "Mm, another one (laughs) yeah let's let's do it again um and i it was really funny so it was like a holiday or something and we were catching up but we, so we were doing all of our talking during like the commercial breaks yes you know there are ads on hulu so we'd be like so yeah that thing we were talking about yeah it was amazing because it was like Literally, we would pause and watch the show, and the show would pause, and we'd pick up the con. Like both things were seamless together. Mm-hmm. In <laughs> the I way think, of yeah, in the way that we do. But I think one of my fondest memories was us. We're like slumped in chairs next to each other, watching this. Like as you do, like not slumped, like sad, but like just watching it. And I think your dad walked past and looked and like did a double take and was like, "Wait, weren't you guys there this morning?" And we were just like, "Yeah,", yeah. and he was like. Nice, some things don't change. And he just left. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something he would say. Yeah, because it really was like being it. like 16 again and just mm-hmm. being like, oh, pajamas, yeah. TV, friend, don't care. But it's nice that like this is the type of show that you can do that with. This is a show that you can watch episode by episode. It's a show you can marathon. It's a show that you can like show friends. And ultimately, 
I think one of the reasons why we ended up watching just so much of it together was it's a show that feels safe. Even when they do cliffhangers and stuff, it is not safe in terms of its narrative. Like, it it does some really bold things and some really interesting things. But even when they leave you on a cliffhanger, there's a level of, like, oh, no, everyone's going to be okay. And it's because the squad works together. It's not because it's an episodic TV show that everybody has to be okay. No, like, they have real consequences to their actions. And things sometimes are not okay for a little bit. And the, they put the characters in places where you're like, oh, no. But ultimately, you come back to it because you're like, it's going to be okay. Because this is a group of weirdos that appreciates each other's weird and keeps learning. And they're going to make it okay. And they do. Yeah, they're... um. They're strange people. They're capable people. That's a really lovely point. I hadn't thought of that. One thing I've been thinking the last few years is I'm not really interested in TV that wants to hurt me as an yeah. audience member. Yeah. Uh, and actually, I've like stopped watching a few things because of that. It's like, like I'm fine with drama. I mean, How to Get Away with Murder is one of my favorite shows, so mm-hmm. like that is not the issue. Mm-hmm. But um, shows that deliberately mess with their fans. Game I'm kind of call. over. Yeah. <laughs> Again, not to shit on anyone's fave. No, because uh, it can be your fave. It's just... Mm-mm. For me, it was The Walking Dead. So it's mm. just not, not interested in shows that want to torture their audience. And, like, it's... Ugh. Like, yeah. it doesn't appeal to me anymore. And, like, there's an, there's enough that's hard in real life that I mm-hmm. don't necessarily need that in my fiction. And that's... Again, that's not to say that, like, fiction shouldn't have suspense or bad things happen to good people or anything like that. It's definitely not to say that. It's, like, the intent behind the cliffhanger that's important to me and if it's just to like make everyone lose their minds until like february or whenever you start uh airing episodes again that doesn't do anything for me agreed it's super and i think it's also about medium for me like more and more i've realized i want tv to be different levels of escape for me and then i find my challenge in my books yes and i find like knowledge in my podcast like i i very much like segmented where my things come from (laughs) and my pain does not come from tv anymore because it's a little it's too visceral for me and like this is this is always just a good balance i can always trust this show to leave me in a good place yeah which i love yeah which is i don't everyone needs that right and i think that's the Mm -hmm. thing like knowing what you need from whatever media you're engaging with and then finding that thing i mean that's the goal yeah and it's not dumb that's the other thing. It leaves you in a nice place, but it's not dumb. No, it's funny and often silly, but it's it's not like lowest common denominator stuff. And again, yeah. like that, whatever. Two recommendations, I think, before we switch topics. Um, one, like if you're trying to get into it, the Halloween episodes are oh. fantastic. So good. And they're like caper episodes. So if you're into that, then mm-hmm. I would definitely start there. Secondly, the um, the Pontiac Bandit episodes, which tend to like be around oh. Christmas. Craig Robinson has, like, a direct line to my funny bone, so (laughs) he's just, like, utterly fabulous, and it keeps getting better and more ridiculous every time he shows up, so, um, definitely. Doug Judy. One of the most amazing, like, reoccurring (laughs) random characters. Like, they have a lot of other, like, great comedians on this show, too, that they use to, like, full effect. Like, no one comes on that show and is underutilized. (laughs) No, they they play everyone to their best, and they, I, I really think they let, um... Doug Judy be as weird as yeah. he can be, which is probably oh, yeah. true for everybody. It's, it's pretty great. It's it's amazing. So that was uh, Geeking Out About, and 
we definitely recommend Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but also we hope you liked listening to us talk about it. That brings us to our next segment, which is called, uh, what about? And this is usually where we talk about something that has to do with a little bit more broader piece of life. And this time it's my turn. Yay! So last time we talked about aging, and I think the topic that I want to talk about comes with age, which is the power of I don't know. I, I think the setup of this is actually worth telling, where... Recently, I had kind of a challenge in my career where the short version is my boss had to go somewhere for a long period of time, and he essentially deputized me to be a boss in his place. And as I told him, there is about 10 years and four uh, titles in between me and his job (laughs) (laughs) and a substantial salary boost. (laughs) And that's being very conservative. (laughs) But, you know, everybody was like, no, we trust you. It's going to be fine. And ultimately it was fine. But there was a couple moments while he was away where I realized that I didn't have the answers that people needed. And I started to panic because things were kind of going off the rails. And I had to, in a career sense, stand up and say, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to do about this. I don't know what this is. And I need everyone else to help me figure it out. And after reflecting on doing that, it actually ended up being a super kind of powerful experience for me, mostly because I thought about it. And it's like, as, as kids, you're always taught kind of like, have an answer. Yes. And I don't know, instead of being seen as like neutral, which is really what it is, like, I don't know is neutral because there is there there are answers that could be incorrect. Like two plus two is not eight unless you're doing very complex math. That is an incorrect answer. It's really never eight. <laughs> I mean, I there's probably someone somewhere that got there. I'm realistically. really <laughs> glad that you um, <laughs> tried to make an allowance for that. <laughs> it's not eight. Okay, yeah, but it's not like that is an incorrect answer. Two plus two is four is a correct answer. But I don't know what two plus two is, is actually just a statement of fact. It's you saying, I don't have this information. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone who's always wanted answers, even even answers I made up. Like, there's this story that <laughs> yes. sticks in my mind where uh, I, when I was very little, my dad, my dad used, he was always 50-50. You could ask him something and he would actually have the absolute correct answer and you'd have a really fun discussion about it. Like I asked him once, like, why is the sky blue? Like trying to be a little shit kid. And he was like, oh, well, let's talk about light refraction. And I was like, what? Like, so- oh, your dad's so great. <laughs> but then another time I asked him, like, how does whipped cream come out of a can? And he said, well, there are these little fairies trapped in the bottom of the can, and they really want to get out, so they're trying to eat the cream, but they're lactose intolerant, so they fart at it. So they fart it out, and when, you know, when it goes dry and it's just sort of like, at the bottom, that's the fairies escaping. And, like, Kidney loved that answer. I bet she did, knowing Kitty. <laughs> yeah. And, like, empirically, incorrect answer, but it was still an answer. Mm-hmm. And so for the longest time, I think I'd kind of put, I don't know, in this category of like, well, you can't, you can't fucking say that. That's fucking stupid. You're just, no, you can't do it. And after having to say it so very much, (laughs) it, it reminded me that it's actually very powerful and you should really just see it as a tool. Yeah. 
I think that's a, a great way to look at it. I, I mean, obviously, the way school is conducted has some impact on this as well, right? Uh, mm-hmm. In the in the classroom, if you say you don't know, depending on who your teacher is, if you have a great teacher, they're going to help you figure it out, right? Yeah. But, you know, maybe they don't have the time or that's not the way the lesson is going or whatever. So like saying, I don't know, like might not be treated as the neutral thing as you point out that mm-hmm. it actually is to say, I don't know. Can you help me like figure it out? Yeah. So I think there's like there's a lot of agency to be had in admitting that you don't know something because that also then gives you the power to figure out what the right answer is. So to like say like, I need the room to do that or I need the space to do that or sometimes I need the help to do that isn't an inherently negative thing at all. Like it can be a really positive thing. But I think so often we're like penalized in um, professional or in social situations for not having all the answers. Like you're supposed to be an expert on everything. When really, yeah. like, let's be honest, like, we're all on Google all the time. Like, what is this? <laughs> exactly. How do I do this in Word? I don't even know. Yeah. And I think even what you said about, like, if you have a good teacher, like, the more I've reflected on this, I've realized in my life, there's also, I don't know, is a really good litmus test for friends. Because, and not just friends, but, you know, people in your life. Because if you tell someone, I don't know, that's close to you, even if it's just something dumb where you're like, did you hear that thing? And you're like, I don't, I don't know what that mm-hmm. is. Like, there's two ways that can go. You can have someone be like, uh, uh, you don't know. Don't you know, like Kelly. A, yeah, and then you're like, all right, so you're a shithead. Yeah, fuck you. And, or it could be like, wait, do you actually not know too? Like it's that mm. thing with little kids where it's like, do you know what first base is? Well, of course I do. What is it? Well, I'm not going to just tell you you don't know what it is. Like, <laughs> right. But we can decide and or figure out together and that's fine. Yeah. Which is a different conversation altogether about how you're doing that is up for debate. (laughs) Not gonna. But but then there's people who are just like, oh, there's like a neutral sort of like, oh, let me tell you what this is. And then there's sort of the other end of that too, where someone can be really excited. Like we were looking at memes, my wife and I on the couch, and at one point I said, oh my god, babe, this is really funny. And they were like, yeah, that is. And I was like, do you know the thing behind this? And they were like, no. And I was like, oh, I get to show you this meme video. I get to watch somebody watch this <laughs> meme for the first time. And it was so good. BT Dubs, if you have not seen To Bake a Cake, it is a Lazy Town Little John remix. Lazy Town is a children's show, just to give you some context. Useful. Little John is a rapper. Didn't hmm. know that. It is the best. <laughs> And that was what I got to show Ray for the first time because it's one of my favorite dumb things on the internet. It's like somewhere in between like OG meme and like new school because it was, I saw it on Tumblr the first time, but it was very old Tumblr. Oh, old Tumblr. Yeah, just if you just Google like how to bake a cake, Lazy Town remix, you'll find it. And it's just, oh, it's so choice. I love it. And I got to watch Ray watch it for the first time. And I got to like almost get that sense of like, knowing how dumb it is again (laughs) and we spent like two weeks just referencing this and it was so it was such a blessing (laughs) and like that can also be the best part of I don't know is then you're like oh great I get to show you this thing right well um, and I think it's it's a given that people love to share not only memes but like things that they know about or things that they're learning about yeah and some people obviously do this in a really condescending way and i think i don't need to tell anyone how we feel about that but eat a million dicks yeah (laughs) (laughs) hashtag catchphrase yeah yeah um but i was thinking while you were talking too of um 
this probably started when we were in college, but Jess and I, and obviously, uh, if you listen to other Adjective Sphinx podcasts, you've heard Jess. Um, plug, plug. It's a friend from college. That's where we met. And we would be taking different classes. And it wouldn't matter, though, because we would just, like, talk the subject matter at the other person. <laughs> so I know, like, weird things I shouldn't know about, like, French literature and physics and religion. And I never took those classes, but Jess did. And she knows way more about Russian history than she probably wants. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just, like, stuff like that. Like, if you... Especially when it's in, in exchange, um, you mm-hmm. can have a really nice experience if I don't know to have like someone share things with you that they're discovering for the first time or that they're really passionate about. Like it, it shouldn't be scary to be like, I don't really know what you're talking about. Yeah. Unless the other person gives you shit for it, which is shitty. Mm-hmm. And again, it gets back to like, we're all human. We're all on Google trying to figure stuff out literally all the time so why we gotta be less afraid of the idea of i don't know because there's power in saying what you do know like what you really actually know and it's like you said with you guys sharing things one of my favorite things and this kind of goes back to our brooklyn 99 conversation which is i love finding out what somebody's weird thing is i love hearing all the sorts of things that i'm like whoa i never would have guessed that's a thing it's it's one of the few things that makes my job really interesting to me is like i get to go into spaces and and learn new things from people that i don't think i would learn otherwise and that's great and also in a professional sense like the end of the story of me having to say i don't know a lot was actually that we kind of averted a major problem because I kind of panicked and and not like panicked and like, oh, flip the table. But I went in, I wrote essentially a very long email, like detailing everything that already happened and ending with, I don't know how to fix this. I see that this is a train about to go off the rails, but my my knowledge of how to drive the train is now gone. Who can fix this? And it turned out it needed a combination of like five other people who didn't even know this was happening. And we ended up set up setting up like a whole system. So then when my boss came back, he was literally just like, wow, I I was checking on things. And when I saw you send this, I was like, oh, do I, do I need to intervene? And then I saw that everybody kind of came together on it and you did the right thing. And like, I don't know can prevent some big things like when you pretend it's it's like you know you don't want to get in front of a car and say i know how to do this and you <laughs> don't because you'll crash like <laughs> granted sometimes you don't have a choice but you know, most of the time you have the opportunity to say can you help me learn how to do this and also yeah maybe do it legally and get a license yeah <laughs> i mean yes yes to that thousand percent <laughs> but you know I, I think you raise a really nice point which is that um, it can be really damaging, this, like, fake it till you make it attitude. Mm-hmm. I understand why it works in some situations, and it's kind of how we fight off imposter syndrome. But if you genuinely are an imposter in any particular mm-hmm. moment, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with owning up to that. To say, like, I'm not, like, the best person to be doing this. And if I'm going to do it, then I need help. And if someone is better at it than I am, that I'm humble and, like, honest enough to admit that. I also Googled, <laughs> because of, you know, uh. figuring shit out, I literally just Googled the phrase, uh, when does a I don't know, 
And tons of business articles came up <laughs> being like, why you want people who say they don't know things, like why you want team leaders who say they don't know things. And, and it seems like the gist of the idea is when you have someone who's willing to admit a gap in their knowledge, they're more likely to listen to the experts or to build a better team or to even be a better team member. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's it's just literally I don't know. <laughs> I think there's a lot of power in embracing even like the little things because as I was writing out my notes for this episode, I was like, I'm not just talking about like what's for dinner. I don't know because that's passing the buck. But it's also like (laughs) that could be useful too. Maybe you don't know what's for dinner. Maybe you're not the decisive person right now and that's okay. Or or like you force yourself into a choice and you're like, I didn't want pad thai. or, Or you end up having a conversation about it. Maybe not about dinner, but about like other things. So like if yeah. the question is, what do I want to do next in my life? And your answer is, I don't know. That could be a really great thing. Yeah. And that, that is an, it's, it's a neutral. It's not a bad. Yeah. You know, it gives you the opportunity to say, well, how do I decide what that is? And that eventually like just leads you further down the path. So anytime you realize I don't know can be your answer, you can actually walk further down the chain of whatever it is. Even if it is, I don't know what's for dinner. Like if you say what's for dinner, I don't know. Then you're like, okay, well, am I hungry? That's a question that's more important. Maybe you're not hungry or yeah, I am actually hungry. Okay. What did I have before? Well, I had this. It's a better way to lead you down a path versus just saying what's for dinner salad. I hate salad. Like, <laughs> I don't actually hate salad, but you know you have complicated feelings about. I, salad. I like good salads. I yeah, get really I fed up like when people, people just toss leaves at me. Yeah, no, I think yeah. in general, if a salad is more than lettuce and dressing, and if that's what you've been given, I'm so sorry. Yeah, especially as a member of the, the vegetable eating populace. Can I? This is gonna get cut out, but you said vegetable eating populace. Do you know Chuck Tingle? Yeah, I love Chuck Tingle. Yeah, he does those crazy romance books. Yeah. He retweeted something that Ray showed me, and we both laughed for like a solid time. Oh, minutes. about the vegetable people. Yes. It's like, hey, did you know some people are vegetables? And that's cool, but some people are double vegetable. Heck, they can't even eat mac and cheese, guys. He is a treasure. He's so He's good. Such a treasure. Absolutely. No, but um, to go back to some of the things you were saying, I know I have two yes, thoughts. Go- no, I might have <laughs> yeah. three, actually. It's Go very it. full in my head right now. Um, Do it. The one is probably most related to what you were saying. I know, like, the dinner example is very casual, but, like, uh, engaging in process. So, like, um, I don't know being kind of a gateway to be able to say, all right, how do, I, how do I figure this out? How do I figure out what to do? And I love process. So, mm-hmm. points for that. Um, Second, uh, I was thinking about the fact that there are a lot of professional and personal spaces that do create a culture where you can't say, I don't know, and how toxic that can be. And I've Mm -hmm. worked in some of those places. It's not a good thing. Yeah. No. And it does tend to blow up in your face, which I think is what you were pointing out, that it can backfire tremendously. So if you are someone who has like leadership capacity over other people, I mean, think of how you present that and think about whether you're willing to say it yourself, because I think you were in a leadership role, right, temporarily, but mm-hmm. you were also mirroring a behavior that meant that other people had the room and the capacity and the agency to also admit that they don't know something. Yeah. And and even before my boss left, he was like, hey, just remember there are all these other people. Like, you're not alone at the top here. There's literally all these other people who, if they're doing their jobs right, you should have everything that you need. Yeah, the community together if even if all of you don't know you can figure it out which is 
important. And honestly, that's so many things in life is figuring it out. And when you admit you don't know, you can, like you said, engage with process. Okay, process. But that was two things. What's the third? The third thing is like the big one, which is the bigger like life issue that I see in this is certainty is actually in many cases potentially very damaging. Mm. And I'm thinking political because that is a lot of what I do right now. Yeah. Yep. Not because life. I want to be. Just nope. <laughs> kind of where I'm at. But I, I was thinking like our inclination to think that we're right about anything mm-hmm. and to go just to dip like one toe into philosophy and think about um, Socrates in particular challenging whatever ideas that were presented to him and saying, well, I don't know where virtue is, but let's sit here and talk about it and see if we can figure it out. Our unwillingness to do that, I think, is one of the reasons that we're... Living in interesting times, I think, is the phrase. Yeah, that's a really nice way to put that. <laughs> um, that like everyone feels so strongly that they're right and that they see the world as it is and are just painfully unaware of their own biases and unwilling to admit that they don't know things, particularly about the experiences of other people and other communities. Yeah. So I feel like being able to say... I don't know what it's like to be a person with a disability in America Mm -hmm. is actually a really empowering thing for me to say, because then I can also go and inform myself. But the minute I presume that I do know all about it is the minute I stop talking to people, I stop listening, I stop finding new information, and I think that I'm right and allow that to inform how I vote in local elections, for example. But by by no means is that the only way that that impacts that. But you're right, like even in the idea of just approaching people where it's like, say I'm talking to you and I'm like, I know how Julia is, this is fine. And then I detect something else and I'm like, oh, that's probably nothing. Versus saying, hey, I don't know how you are. Are you okay? Like that's just, it it comes down that I don't know is neutral and it lets you engage. And that engagement is so very powerful in any form you can put it in. Yeah, so... um. Chelsea Manning is running for Senate in the state of Maryland. Oh, that's dope. I didn't even know she was from here. <laughs> but we I was having a conversation with some friends on social media, and they had very strong opinions about, I guess, whistleblowing and giving up confidential information. Mm-hmm. And I realized that I didn't have a strong opinion about it. Hmm. Okay. So that, that was an I don't know for me. I was like, well, I don't know how I feel about what she did ultimately. I feel like I need to know more about what was at stake and why she felt like she had to and you know eight other things Hmm. but it it was a really nice moment in a way to be able to have everyone say what they were saying and understand their perspective without having to like feel like I had to offer one of my own immediately that's good though like that does sound nice it was different anyway it's just not the way discourse seems to be going which I'm so like Wraith pointed out the other day that discourse has just become such an overused word but Oof, that's a different topic entirely that I'm too sleepy and too hungry to deal with. Uh- <laughs> Did you not eat before we started doing this? What? You mean I made, like, a not adult decision? Kelly. Oh. Why, Kelly? <laughs> I, I won't leave this part in. Uh, no! <laughs> <laughs> Whatever, you have finals that you know that, but... <laughs> no, it's fine. We can leave that in. I just love... <laughs> it's not good adult decision-making. <laughs> My original thinking was like, oh, if I get hungry, that'll force me to stop talking. (laughs) 
Has that it's ever worked? Thought process. I mean, I've gotten off the phone of? with you, and not only have I been starving, I like had to pee terribly. <laughs> I mean, really both, of, both states are also true. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I, oh, hey, you know what? I don't know. Uh, no, that was a cop out. I don't know. <laughs> that was a cop out. I don't know, but it was funny. Don't misuse the I don't know, you guys. That's I know. Okay. After I said just like such a, we just said lovely poignant things about I don't know. And then I'm like, I'm going to use it to not make an adult decision. Kelly is the person <laughs> in the instructional video that you don't want to be like. At the moment. Yeah. Usually she is, to be fair. Do as I but say. At not the as moment. I do. Just not a good role yeah. model. It's not a good look. <laughs> but we decided we're having cereal for any for dinner anyway, so it's not like I have to go cook something. That makes me sad too. Why I want it. I'm actually really excited mm, about it. All right. We have had quiche with like mushrooms and garlic and uh broccoli and shit and like I've had like pears and cucumbers and I've, I've had really hearty lunches also i figured out i was eating avocado wrong this whole time wait you're gonna have to explain that yeah okay so everybody's like eat avocado it keeps you full and i would eat like a fourth of avocado and be like this is bullshit i'm still really hungry <laughs> what the hell and now i'm like no you have to eat like the avocado like this whole week, I've been making breakfast where I take a croissant and cut it open and put half an avocado on it with a little bit of salt and mushroom powder, and it's real good, and I'm not hungry till lunchtime. You're millennial, you. Yeah. I have uh, I have elevated avocado toast because it's now avocado croissant, and I'm a homeowner. I can have it all. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but, no, it, it's we've been doing really good, so, like... I wasn't even that hungry when I came home, and I've been slowly sipping on, like, watered-down sweet tea. (laughs) (laughs) It's not getting better, but I do like that as a life message. Like, eat the whole avocado, kids. Yeah, eat, or at least half of it. Like, just get in that fucker. (laughs) Like, don't limit yourself. No. (laughs) Because that's what you're spending all your money on anyway, right? Like, just... I know. You might as well enjoy the avocado. Might as well just have the whole fucker. Like, also, it really does keep you full. I get it now. It's those healthy fats. So there, there's our lesson for this week. Admit you don't know things. And and eat the whole whole (laughs) avocado. Eat the whole fucking avocado. (laughs) Tell great stories. Eat the whole avocado. Yes, love your friend's weirdness. I like that we're just like (laughs) full of affirmations all the time. We don't mean to be this way. We just, this is how we talk to each other. Also, tell people you don't like. Well, not tell people you don't like, but like tell people who bring you down and eat a million dicks. Yeah. I have to, I feel like I have to say at least two each episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) I kind of want there to be t-shirts, but it's way too early. No, but I've I've been thinking about that. If that's like literally what everyone takes away from this, I'm fine yeah. with that. That's but fine. I like eat the whole <laughs> avocado. Yeah, eat the whole thing. Yes. It's delicious. You deserve it. You do. Like if you got it, it's yours. Go for it. Don't limit yourself. You spent money no on limits. that. But like make sure it's like ready. Yeah. Don't eat unripe avocado. That's never a good experience. I tried that once. It was not great. No, it's, it's really annoying. It was like served to me and I was like, is this done? And it was not. Oh, was that's like, sad. Dang, but I want it. Wasn't good. Oh, that but. that is tragic. Like when you have an avocado and it's either not ready to be eaten or it's gone bad. That's yeah, that's tragic. It's hard to bear. 
It's not even like bananas where you can just let them go bad and then put them in something. Yeah, then you make no. banana bread. Like, but you, I guess avocado yeah. bread might be a thing, but I don't think I want to make it. Now I want to look it up and see if it is, but we can do that later. They but use that... it as a substitute in um vegan baking. Why do I know that? Because you're a vegetarian. You're not full vegetable. But you're kind <laughs> no, of vegetable. one vegetable. I'm not two vegetables. You can eat, still eat mac. Not and a cheese. double vegetable. I do eat mac and cheese. It's the best. <laughs> But talking about looking up recipes is a perfect segue for our last segment. Yay! Don't you like how smooth that was? Like an avocado. <laughs> <laughs> like a perfectly ripe mashed avocado. Mm, on toast. Yes. <laughs> now I want guacamole. But anyway. Same, and we don't have any, and we have really good tortilla chips right now, and it's just bringing oh, down. <laughs> that's terrible. I hope you can get some soon. You're such a good friend. That was so nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. <laughs> Anyway, Google it. Google it is our last segment. There, I said yes. it. And Google it is where we tell you something that we learned uh, because we just randomly Googled it. So this time we're recording this for January. That's when it has to go up. Hopefully. We'll it's see. It's going to go up in February, but, but that's all right. Whatever. Time is an illusion. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> just went right there. Okay. Yeah, time's an illusion. Anyway, um, because it's January, we were thinking about New Year's resolutions, so we thought, where does that come from? And we didn't know, so we Googled it. Apparently, the Babylonians. So yeah. it was 4,000 years ago, Babylonians rang in the New Year with an 11-day festival in March, and Egyptians celebrated the advent of their new calendar during the, the Nile's flood. And so the origins of making New Year's resolutions rest with the Babylonians, who reportedly made promises to the gods in hopes that they'd earn good favor in the coming year. And they often resolved to get out of debt. So, are you like a Babylonian? Were you resolving to deal with money stuff this year or what? But, yeah, that's where that comes from. But I know you have thoughts. I have thoughts and feelings. I might like resolutions better if I thought of them as, like, promises to the gods, though. Mm-hmm. Maybe that would make me happier. I fucking hate re- resolutions, you guys. I fucking hate them. Do you think they could eat a million dicks? I think they should. <laughs> <laughs> Why, Julia? <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, because, like you said, time is an illusion, and so, like, <laughs> resolutions have no meaning. Up is down. Down is down up. Is Fuck up. your resolutions. Uh, yeah, like... <laughs> Seriously, January 1st is an artificial construct. It doesn't exist. There's no reason why it would be better to start doing something on January 1st than on, like, May 22nd. This is true. Except there is actually in the the article that you um, so kindly brought up for us, which we will hopefully remember to put in the show notes. um, There is a psychological benefit to feeling like the year has turned over. I just, first of all, I never feel that way. Like, it takes me forever to think that it's a new year I don't know what it is about my brain but every time it's a new year I'm like no actually it really just feels like the same continuous unspooling of time (laughs) that's all I got so like we're at the end of January and I'm just starting to feel like it might be a new year (laughs) I saw a tweet today where someone was like smash mouth is right the years start coming and they don't stop coming (laughs) just like having to start your thought process that way if smash mouth was right I said that just to mess with you. <laughs> um. Anyway, back to how time friends. is an illusion and resolutions suck. That, like, that actually, like, the artificial construct stuff doesn't bother me that much. It's actually the fact that most resolutions are based around negative feelings that people have about themselves. So I think they tend to be a form of self-punishment. 
So more than even like making me angry, although they do a little bit because I'm like a goal-oriented person and that's not how you do it. Um, <laughs> more than that, it bums me out to see people punishing themselves. Yeah. And I, I feel like if you're going to make a resolution, be kind to yourself. Like resolutions can be as open-ended as you want because they're personal. Like every year I give myself something to try and shoot for and it's not like lose 80 pounds. No, that's terrible. It's always like something like be healthier. And that could be as simple as, you know what? I really made it a point to eat more vegetables this year. And I did that. That's good. I, that counts. Or like, I took care of my mental health this year. That's good. And it's, it's important. I try to do things you can build on, you know, like be healthier is something I could just have as a resolution every year and it would be fine. Yeah. And like, granted, it's good to have a specific goal. I don't think the weight loss goal is ever a good one because mm-hmm. you can lose weight in a way that's really damaging. Yeah. to your body oh, yeah. so n- not like a personal fave of mine like you know maybe it's like I want to quit smoking or I want to limit myself to like two drinks in a sitting or just drink less in general but like having like a particular goal is a good thing I think just like piling them on makes it less likely that you're going to achieve them first of all and second of all again seems like a little bit of self-cruelty rather than self-care the amount of time and this is something my industry has done the amount of times in january that you hear new year new me is like, ugh. it's gross and disgusting and i want to just be like new year same you that's okay like it's be like Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Make sure your character grows thick. Like, and, <laughs> and if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, it means that you can't just make your goals to punish yourself because inevitably you'll be unhappy and they won't work. Yeah. That's literally how goal setting breaks is when that you is. do something you're not happy well, with. Also, and like, don't set yourself up to fail is the other thing. Like, if you want to read, a, you know, more books this year, that's great. But if you read, 10 books last year probably you don't want to start out by saying i'm going to read 200 books this year yeah you know read 15 books read 20 books we have a book club read with us (laughs) oh we do have a book club if you want to read more it's called 800 plus and it's really fun but um (laughs) (laughs) but even if you read 10 books last year and you read 11 this year that counts still progress Maybe you didn't read, maybe this year you read nine books, but you read a lot of articles or you read a lot of video game text. Did you enjoy it? Then your ultimate goal was to enjoy reading more and you did yeah, that. Yeah, or maybe you read one book, but it was War and Peace. So like, raw, raw fucking that's year. Like that's three awesome. Books. Like, good job. Yeah, that's like three books in one book, dude. Yeah. I don't, yeah, like, be reasonable, be easy on yourself, I think. Um, for me, like, it's never too late in the year to, like, create a goal. You just have to be conscious of how you set it up, how much time you give yourself. It's just ridiculous to be like, well, I'm going to write, you know, 17 novels this year. Well, you're probably not, but you could write one. Or just write anything. Yeah, or, you know, write a short story, write an article, write a blog post. Uh, I think, yeah, we, we go out of our way to punish ourselves and we set ourselves up to fail. And ultimately, it really shouldn't be about the end result. It should be about process again. And it, it's, it does get right back to I don't know, which is engaging in process. So be I think January 1st is a nice time for people to look at themselves and say, hey, I don't suck as much as I probably think I do. For whatever reason it is, we're all mean to ourselves in our head. So 
whether it's you're listening to this in January or listening to this in like September or like whatever, time is an illusion. So <laughs> right now, like look at yourself and be like, I probably suck less than I, I would ever think of myself. So I should give myself a break and think about what I wanted out of a resolution. So even if you did go the route of, oh my God, I'm going to go to the gym every week and maybe your resolution was to be more active about your health. Yeah. Okay. Then, then any action you take counts, and that's good. And I'm not saying be like, my resolution was to eat a chocolate. Oops, already did that. But like, <laughs> at the same time, if that's how you want to deal with it, go for it. That's how you started your year, and that's fine. I love all your loopholes. Can I just say that? I mean, who am I if not someone into loopholes? <laughs> no, and I guess um, the, the other thing, um, <laughs> the, maybe the last thing I would say is all the like, end of year posts that people do or the status updates that people do like that that girl that you went to high school with that's like posting all of her fitness pictures number one people lie yup number two that's a performance like that's not the point like it's great for you to share your accomplishments and have other people be happy for you but i think you can tell the difference between that and oh my god look at me self-improvement isn't a race it isn't we're all just like measuring against our past selves that's the only standard you have for it. Don't measure yourself against someone else. I mean, again, if you want to be a Babylonian, find your god then. Fuck yeah. Cool. No, I have to find a god to make a promise to, and maybe then I'll be into resolutions. But it'll have to be a, like a god-appropriate resolution. Yeah, see, like my brain's all like, I'm going to go to Cali and be like, I'm going to waste some fools, which I'm not going <laughs> to do. But I love the idea of maybe promising that. <laughs> oh, man. I just would be happy if we can like keep some of our fr- fruit tree. Yeah. That's earnings Ooh, this year maybe yeah maybe Get i'll the go to ganesh and be like i'll remove some obstacles i did that oh <laughs> sweet <laughs> that's nice yeah i like it i like it a lot <laughs> but yeah so it's january even though time's an illusion be nice to yourself wherever you are <laughs> probably february or later but you get the idea whatever be nice to yourself right now just do it for us yes. because i like it when people are nice to themselves and you probably suck way less than you give yourself credit you probably don't suck at all let's be honest and eat the whole avocado eat the whole avocado don't limit yourself thanks guys for listening thanks bye everybody Butterfly is a podcast created and edited by Julia Pat and Kelly Clark. Our music is Cheery Monday by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work on IncompeteTech.com. Ooh, Butterfly is part of the Adjective Sphinx Network. We're on Twitter at Adjective Sphinx, or you can email us at Adjective Sphinx, all one word, at gmail.com. If you like the podcast, feel free to rate us on iTunes. Thanks. See you next time.